Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift Podcast, episode 42. We've got part two with Colin. Colin, welcome back. Thanks for coming. Hey, good to, good to be back on again, Faz. Awesome. I uh, really enjoyed it the last time. Yeah, me too. It's one of my favorite ones in recent times. I'm hoping a lot of people got a lot out of that because I certainly did. Um, so we're going to start off with revisiting movement patterns in general. Now, we touched on quite a lot on squat patterns. And we touched a little bit on pressing patterns. And I want to just talk particularly about the getting the right balance between getting the correct movement pattern versus getting the right load on the bar. There seems to be almost two camps that I see. Those who really emphasize movement patterns with, to the exception of load and those who emphasize load to the exception of movement patterns. And I, I kind of want to quiz you on getting the right balance. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we could start with squats, I guess, just to pick it up from last time. So, I mean, with squatting, I mean, I think especially when, you, when you're not really concerned with poundage, but about how you're engaging things, then it really does come down to, you know, squatting as well as you can with the body that you have. Um, we're all different. So, you know, we've seen plenty of stuff on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of it about how your hip shape and what have you affects it. But the general theme does run through it all. You want to be, especially from a bodybuilding perspective, we want to be relatively upright. Um, more because this helps distribute the load much more evenly across the structures. Um, and it, it does bring your poundage down a little bit. It allows you to focus a little bit more on a, on your technique. And in terms of technique and kind of what we were talking about the last time about where the weight's distributed across your feet, I want people to be working ideally at a range, a weight range, where they they can certainly in the beginning stages they can feel the weight moving across their feet. Now you're not going to do this once you're on your work sets. I'm not interested in people doing that when they're on their work sets. But when you're warming up, we want you to feel the weight into the heel at the bottom, and we want you to feel it coming up and forward uh, as you move up through it. If you can do that, then the benefits from the point of view of performance um, mean that you're going to get a more um, powerful contraction because you're, you're better able to actually push from the feet up the way. Uh, from a, but that also then means that you're going to get a harder contraction right through the leg, you know, from everything up into the hip. You're going to actually, you know, in terms of training longevity, you're going to make it easier on yourself because you're going to lift, you're going to squat with your back a lot less. It's going to be easier to maintain that upright position uh, because you're, you're focused much more on driving from the floor up the way rather than leading uh, with your back. Uh, so you're still going to have to do that, but you're going to begin the, the upward portion almost by keeping stiff through the torso and driving away from the floor. Uh, and you know that initially that that's going to mean that you're slightly on your heels, just in that bottom position, and just where the weight shifts. And then as you push up through, you're going to come forward a little bit. That, it's that, much easier to do uh, with lighter weights and then basically once you've learned it, you don't need to worry about it so much. 
so that looks at people who um, are are perhaps squatting a little bit too much. Um, who, yeah, it looks at people just getting them to squat in the right position. But can we yeah. perhaps discuss people who are relying on the on the their being upright too much almost? Because I, I touched last time on mm -hmm. the excessive use of wraps in bodybuilding, yeah. and I think that's kind of where I'm seeing this. Like, because we've touched on sort of people rather than people moving backwards in a squat. Let's discuss more about people who are far too forward. Their knees are far too forward. They're far too knee reliant. So they're, mm -hmm. they're using wraps to carry an increase in poundage. What can we do to readdress that balance? Um, in some respects. Um, and what's bad about that? There's nothing bad about your knees traveling forward. So that would be one thing where in a squat, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But what I wouldn't want to, what I don't think they should be doing, given what it is they're, they're doing, is worrying about putting wraps on. Because invariably that leads to chasing poundage. And that tells me that you're already chasing poundage when that's not really what you should be doing. Uh, Completely agree. So in the squat, I want the knee to travel out over. If you're basically just barbell squat, front squat, anything like that, I want to see the knee travel out over the foot. Um, if we're doing essentially what we call an athletic squat. Now, if you're doing a sort of powerlifting style squat, we're maybe going to sit back that little bit more, bloody bloody blah, obviously that changes things slightly, but from purely, you know, developing the squat pattern and how that benefits quad, hamstring, glute development, I want you to squat in a manner that loads up the whole leg not equally, because that's not really going to happen. It is a knee-dominant movement. Mm. Uh, but we want to be in a position whereby you, you're going to squat more effectively. You're not going to overload. You're not looking to bias it in any particular way beyond what the squat pattern actually should be doing, which is, is let's say, it's a, it's a knee-dominant movement. Um, when people start talking about hip-dominant, you know, I'm sorry, but... You're squatting, it's knee dominant. Yeah. You know, if you're deadlifting, it's hip dominant. If you're squatting, it's knee dominant. Anything other than that, you're talking about your fucking arms. Um, if I may be so bold. I, I, I completely agree. And I think that's a throwback to the sort of the Ripito type squat, squatting with your hips and the hip, hip drive, as, uh, some, as your friend and my friend Mark from. Uh, from cast iron strength uh, yeah. said on that episode hip drive but that that's something that became very very popular like basically leading out of the squat with your hips but even that you're still it's a knee dominant move absolutely yeah. and the funny thing is is that you do want to here's the thing the, the misconception here is that you do need it's not that you're you don't want to drive with your hips you do want to drive with your hips because as you come out of that i want your hips to meet your knees i don't want your knees to meet your hips <laughs> I'll hopefully expand on that. So as you come up, if we think of um, what should be happening, as you drive out of it, we should see much more the hip extension happening after a set, after you get above parallel. Your hips should be moving forward versus your knees moving back. That keeps the load firmly kind of into the leg. So if you're driving your hips through rather than just standing up, you will actually, for all your driving with your hips, you'll keep the load on your legs better, uh, which is where, this is where keeping the weight, having the weight shift from the heel through to the forefoot uh, sort of comes in because it, 
it allows you to drive into the ground, push the hips through, and really keep the, the stress in the leg. If you um, straighten the leg, if you kind of straighten the leg early, so you meet, let the knee come back the way to meet the hip, uh, you're going to actually find that you you have to lift with your back more, um, because you you put everything into you put your hip into extension a bit too early, and you can't really get much engagement through or as good an engagement through the hamstring and the glutes. Yeah, yeah. So you start actually kind of having a good morning a bit more. It's much more obvious in a deadlift or a clean or something like that. But it's the same thing will happen with the the squat. Um, we want to uh, really delay that knee extension. And to be honest, if guy, if if you try it, I'll, I'll give you a, a video of one of the things that you can maybe put into the notes or something. Very very easy to see in single leg movements, uh, where well, when when you're doing these, one of the easiest ways of making a single leg movement even more effective than it already is is to do just that. Is to drive forward uh, almost like a sprinter starting and how much more that actually creates a massive co-contraction in the leg whereby you you feel the the hamstring and the, the quad working really really hard and it's surprising how little weight you actually need to use yeah. Yeah. to get you know a really solid work there but the same applies when you're squatting we want the the hip to come forward to meet the knee, which means that the, the stress stays on the legs for longer. So Absolutely, therefore, yeah. it's, it's from a bodybuilding sort of, perspective, you're going to get you know more time under tension. The way that uh, Tom Martin, my old coach, used to kind of describe it to me was he was on the way down, um, you almost want your chest to be lifting up and your hips to go down. Now on the way up, you want your chest to go back up and your hips to drive forward as your knees kind yeah. of push out. And so he, he, he sort of, he talked a bit more about the, he, he, he emphasized that point that you said about the hips driving forward, but he also talked a bit about the interplay between the hips and the, and the chest as well. So inevitably yeah. you want the chest to drive up and that should support that too. And funnily enough, it's almost like you want um, the, if you can, this carries across sort of pulling and squatting patterns with certainly with the bar on the back for squatting. Um, we want to create stiffness across the upper back because just as, as you do with deadlifting, that allows you to actually drive the torso up the way. So it's just exactly like Tom's talking about. It means that you're, it's not even so much that you're leading with the chest. It's almost like you're driving your everything kind of up. Every, everything, head, yeah, everything, yeah. Yep. The head, the bar, the chest, the back, you know, it's, it doesn't really... What you, how you describe it almost doesn't matter too much. It's about what clicks yep. with the person that you're coaching. But you're trying to get as much of yourself under the bar as possible. Yeah, and, and keep it there so that you don't kind of, you don't want to be going, when you're driving up, you, if you're falling forward at all, you've kind of lost that connection, uh, which is where, again, even with a power lifter who is maybe leaning forward a bit more than, you know, sort of bodybuilding style squat, they're still trying to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, um, and the, the only difference is, is that the bar is slightly lower on the back, which changes that sort of how it looks. 
Now, at, at this point, I kind of want to emphasize that everything we're saying about the squat also applies to any squatting machine as well. So you're looking at hack mm -hmm. squat, a squat machine, a V squat, any, any leg exercise where you've got the bar on your back. And, and even when you don't have the bar on your back, like a leg press, mm -hmm. some of these things are still applicable there in terms of the movement pattern and the interplay between the upper body and the lower body. This is what, and what we talked about last week as well, which is the breathing pattern. These are all applicable for anyone. So I just want to just say that for people who are listening, say, well, I don't squat, I perhaps use machines. It's the same thing. In some respects, it actually becomes easier mm. because now what you can do is you can take the, in some respects, that upper body aspect out of the way and you can focus purely on that, that connection into the, we'll call it the ground, and, and squeezing in some ways away so that you, you should feel that everything is just, the, the tension is on the leg as you drive off. And that starts at your feet. If you get that connection into the feet right, it, it makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. I think you, this was way back to the West Side days when they were talking about drilling your feet into the ground and getting that solid mm -hmm. base. Um, I mean, I, did, I didn't agree with a lot of what they said, but I think certainly getting a strong, sturdy stance is, is very, very beneficial. Oh, it's so, it really is. And as I say, I mean, one of the things, having gone into sort of lockdown, um, I've, I've been doing a lot of, because I don't have a rack or anything, I've been doing some Zerker sort of split leg, split stance work. And... Man, that that so connects it in, you know, you've got that real connection with the ground, with that front foot, because uh, you, you're pushing in, you can feel the whole leg working. And yeah, you lose, you know, some of that, um, that pattern in terms of, you know, you're not going to squat as well immediately going back to squatting, although I must admit, I haven't squatted in ages. Uh, it it's there, you know, you, you will have, you will have retained the actual strength and you really just needing to relearn the pattern if you go back to it later on. Absolutely. Um, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, that's my, that's been my experience. Um, if I could just move you on to what assistance exercises can we do to support correct squatting patterns? Now we mentioned last week, the one legged, uh, one legged work. I've been doing the one legged leg press and I feel that's had a massive benefit to my squat. Um, what yeah. else? I would, you know, it's, you know, my favourites at the moment are pretty much any single leg movement. Um, talk, talk us through a few things we can do because I'm, I'm curious. Cause I'm, I'm looking at options now for training at home, even, whether at home or in the gym. Talk us through some, some of the better options. Uh, one of the ones uh, I, I really like is a, a split stance squat and really just holding like a dumbbell in a, a, a goblet squat type position uh, but what the setup needs you to be and this is where the real kind of uh, the, the subtlety of it comes in is that you in the starting position you want your weight to be over the midfoot so you need to shift you need to narrow your stance up in comparison to how people would normally do split squats where they'll do it almost like in a lunge position yeah yeah this is uh, what we discussed last week yeah, and yep. you bring that back leg a little bit further forward so that you're really just using it for a bit of balance. Mm -hmm. And you move your whole body forward until such times as you feel the weight going down into the arch of your foot. That's the point where you squat down. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's amazing how humbling it is <laughs> uh, in terms of how, how much less weight well, you kind of have to use to, because your, your goal here is to maintain that foot contact. Uh, I suppose if we're we not looking to overpower things here, because again, that takes away from that. We're looking to maximize the sort of contraction mm. through the leg rather than just power it up and take the weight onto our heels. I suppose if we could sort of visualize it for the audience, you're looking at essentially a shrimp squat, but without yeah. holding without holding the hind leg. You're you're actually just holding yeah. weight instead. You're holding weight to make it harder mm. rather than holding a weight. Yeah. And that that back leg, you basically just got the toes on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, and but yeah. it is roughly that sort of shrimp squat kind of thing, and that then allows you to focus on keeping the, the foot pressure. And one of the things I've done more recently, whether I've been doing it like that or your your sort of more classic Bulgarian split squat. Yes, yeah. Uh, I have really focused on keeping the foot pressure there, mm -hmm. and that's probably the biggest change that you can make, almost regardless of which one you use. Mm. Um. If you do it in stocking or bare feet, it really allows you to focus on this what this contact with the foot. And even with the, the split squat, the Bulgarian style one, where the foot's elevated, um, I really focused on keeping that front foot there. So especially as I started to come back up, almost my initial thought was press the foot into the floor like I'm pressing on a pedal. And then yes. instantly, you know, that just stabilizes you because yep. the whole leg just starts contracting. And because you've got the balance of your right or your behind of your rear leg, your hind leg, you can you can actually think about it. Like rather yeah. than uh, it's you can you can slow it down. You can think about it. So uh, mm. on the other hand, we're also got things like pistol squats as well. Mm. Um, Which, to be honest, it, it's such a balanced thing going on there. That very, yeah, very much. It's like, you know, how do you, I mean, to be honest, if you can, if you can do a pistol squat and load it, well, you know, crack on. I'm not going to, mm. it's just like, it's just not there for the vast majority of people for any number of different reasons. Yeah. Uh, but if you can load, if you can do a pistol squat and you can load it up, then, you know, you know fair play to you and crack on and do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, it's more that kind of, split stance type positions that yeah. allow that allow that balance between um sort of true single leg in the sense of like a shrimp squat where the foot's held up or the um, pistol squat and something like you know a, a sort of lunge um, I'm not yeah. a massive fan of lunges. Uh, yeah, me either. I mean, there's, too, there's too much movement going on. That's what I think. It's more of an open chain movement, and I don't like the fact of the, the foot stamping on the ground. I'm not a massive fan of that. I, I just wanted to sort of, just to conclude the shrimp squat discussion, I think, I, or the shrimp style squat discussion, it, that's a very viable option for people at home right now. Like, rather yeah. than pistol squats or assisted pistol squats, you're looking at a shrimp style squat, the one that Colin's demonstrated with your hind legs slightly behind. One, it's far easier to balance. And two, it's far more quad dominant as well. So it's a definite mm -hmm. option for a lot of people at home. And as you get stronger and stronger, you may well be able to do a complete shrimp squat. But for now, a weighted shrimp style squat is a very, very good one single leg option. Yeah, and like I say, you don't need a massive amount of weight. And I use it within the sort of rehab a sort of continuum as well mm. as a sort of performance style stuff and you know getting people to do that um unweighted 
initially is a massive challenge for them. It's a very challenging um, movement, yeah. I think particularly, I think particularly most, most people, most people would probably find one leg is far more challenging than the other. Mm-hmm. I found when I first started doing single leg work, my left leg, if you remember, my, my left knee was actually the one that was constantly hurting. Mm-hmm. That was far weaker and it's, it's gotten so much better over the year. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why my squat is looking better. So these things really help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similarly with, um, in terms of, you know, whilst not a, sort of squat type stuff, I mean, we'll maybe be coming on to it, but you know, you can apply the same sort of things to RDLs, but if we're sticking with the squat style thing. <laughs> I, yeah, but, I was thinking that too, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, I have given it to people to do and they've not been happy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's the best way of doing it. It's a bloody hard exercise to do the single, we can move on to that. Let's move on to sort of um, deadlift style work. So um, moving patterns for the deadlift, I, I think this is a fascinating area. I think this is an area where I've spent a lot of time practicing. I've actually got an analysis of deadlift on my Instagram in my pinned mm-hmm. stories uh, where I break down some guy's deadlift um, style. And there's a lot to be said for deadlifting. But I think one of the things you mentioned about the squat was getting as much of yourself under the bar as possible. I think you could say a lot of that for the deadlift as well. Now, I actually favor starting the deadlift with the bar slightly a couple of inches a foot of my shins and then as i come down my shins go slightly forward and my upper back mm-hmm. is a little bit more rounded and my shoulders yeah shoulders are rammed into the sort into the sort like down and back so i find i'm able to get more of my weight under the bar in a sense and that's mm-hmm. the, that seems to be a lot but that was something that i experimented a lot with and what so talk, talk to us about sort of moving patterns in the deadlift. So if we, if we start with that, actually, um, so one of the big things that we have is that people are stuck in extension a lot of the time. Yeah. For want of a different, a better way of putting it, you tend to find that the rib cages are quite flared, tilted back. Uh, so that can mean that actually extending can be a bit harder. Yeah. If we give you a bit of flexion, and one of the things I work on in, in the rehab perspective with people is actually restoring this sort of ribcage position so that they are actually much more neutral and therefore can flex and extend. If you um, slouch a little bit, almost like you're talking about there, mm-hmm. that then puts you into a much stronger position uh, uh, and you can be much more solid through the torso when you come to deadlift. So for all it looks like you're slightly curved, which is, oh, 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 you can't be curved when you're deadlifting, you know, it's, you, you'll die. <laughs> but, you know, it turns out that actually, you know, your ribcage, for a lot of people, they do need to be slightly flexed. And I believe so. it allows for you to create a lot more stiffness in the torso, which going back to what we're saying on the squat means that everything that you do with your legs results in upward movement. So just to remind people of our discussion about the squat. So if you remember in episode one, Colin was talking about breathing techniques in the squat and he was talking about depressing your rib cage by breathing out and into your stomach. Um, now you can do a similar thing with the deadlift. So what you're trying to do essentially is compact the torso. And that's kind of what we're looking at. And while combating the torso, we are actually allowing for a slight bend in the in the round in the upper back. That's actually a safe position to pull from. Yeah, yeah. Totally, you'll create a really solid um, structure to to lift off. 
or with. It just allows for all that. Basically, all the power that you're generating through the hips will result in upward movement because you've created a much stiffer torso, which then comes back again to what's happening at the feet. We start at the feet. In that bottom position, again, we want you to be slightly, the weight slightly into your heels, not right on your heels, but feeling it into your heels, mm -hmm. such that when you drive off, the weight starts. Again, we want the hips to move forward. Not in the initial position, a little bit in the initial position. Everything's coming up. It's a bit more knee extension happening there. And then, again, we're sort of, starting to push the hips through a lot more. Uh, and what that does by, by delaying that knee extension, it gives your hamstrings the opportunity to actually extend the hip and it makes it easier for the glutes to extend the hip as well. Because if you, the biggest problem, and you see it all the time with people chasing poundages in, in deadlifting is that the legs straighten early and regardless of whether you are a sumo deadlifter or a conventional deadlifter, you're making lockout much, much harder because and you're really increasing the risk of injury of your hamstring. I just, yeah. I, I just, I'm look at people do do that, and at the top position, I thought your hamstring is going to go. It's going to go. Okay, well, because it has to pull. At, you've essentially put it into end range. Yes. And ask it to finish it. But then on top of that, it's like you know where they really start noticing. Oh, I definitely hurt my back. Yeah, of course it does. Of course. Because you're actually having to seriously lift with your back now because you've you've put the glute and hamstring into end range mm -hmm. and it's working like crazy to actually finish that movement off when it is what, you know, basically it should be everything working together to finish the movement off, yeah. which is why we want that sort of delayed knee extension that allows the hip to push through and distributes that loading through the hamstring, the glute, and then means that the lower back is really just working in a static sense in terms of holding your torso upright and allows the hip to actually extend. And it shouldn't re you shouldn't really be getting much in the way of extension through the spine when we're deadlifting. It should just be holding you in position and, and you extending through the hip. Yeah. So th there's quite a lot to be said on, on deadlift form, but I think... Um, I think we've covered a good amount in terms of the interplay between the shins, torso, mm. hips. I think the, the, the thing that I said initially about the, the shins being moving slightly forward and the bar being a couple of inches in mm. front allows the shins to move forward. And that, the consequence of that is it allows the hips to go forward a bit. Mm. And that's quite good because the more your hips can go forward, the more you can sort of go upright. One of the most infuriating things about people teaching the deadlift wrong is they keep saying this whole head up, head up, head up. And so they, but the thing is, they're not teaching them how to actually place the shins. So the shins are vertical and the head's up and you've got this sort of weird chicken situation where it looks like they're about to mm -hmm. attempt like a, a Miley Cyrus type of twerk. And that, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just the, the spine just going to like explode out of their back. But the, the thing about the head up, the head up should be a consequence of the torso being upright. So the head remains neutral. And what infuriates me is I see these PTs and they go head up, head up, head up. And like, that's just the wrong position to be in. Because yeah, the head- with the wrong thing. It's absolutely. The, the torso should be upright. And that is accomplished by the hips moving forward, which is allowed to happen by the shins being given the space by moving forward. It's a whole massive interplay there. Mm -hmm. The head up starts with the shins. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, I. I I enjoy deadlifting. I know you have enjoyed deadlifting in the past. And, yeah. you know, one, one of my favorites at the moment, though, is, again, it's, it's a split stance, um, yeah. RDL type stuff. 
I mean, and from a you know, a more bodybuilding perspective, if you want a heavy sort of um, multi-joint sort of deadlift type movement that's going to really develop your hamstrings, that will. You can load it up heavily, uh, but if you do all the things that we're talking about, this idea of the same thing in terms of where, where the, what's going on with the bar, mm-hmm. it becomes much less of an issue. I must admit, I prefer sort of dumbbells, trap bars are actually quite a good option, especially yeah. the open Let, ones. Let's, talk about, about let's talk about that a little bit because uh, you mentioned this to me years ago and I always struggle with balance, but I, how what's the setup like if somebody wants to start this who's as unathletic as i am what what's the setup for a, a dumbbell rdl what single leg work um it really kind of almost a bit like we we're talking about before the setup for is the same as that sort of shrimp squat mm-hmm. type thing you don't want that back leg too far back it's really just there for balance and the main reason is the same thing we want the weight to stay over that front foot Oh, so we're not letting the back leg go out. It is still contacting the floor. Ah, maybe that's where I was going wrong. I, I, I do like them, but to be perfectly honest, and this is one where people can do them. I'm much more interested, funnily enough, with people doing these, hmm. uh, but they have to master the split stance version of it to begin with. Um, and then you can sort of go into a single leg version of it. But even then, you're never really going to be using a huge amount of weight. Mm-hmm. So it's where I find that there's a, a real benefit is more what it does to your hip and how it improves um, it in a multi-planar <laughs> fashion. <laughs> because you've, you've obviously you're moving in that just sagittal plane, that straight ahead type stuff, but you have to control the body side to side and in a rotational fashion. So people can be a bit too quick to jump to it and then they make a total arse of it. So they, they do stuff that kind of looks okay, but you'll often find that there's, you know, first thing that you'll see is that there is way too much movement mm-hmm. happening through the body. And then the second thing that you see is that the knee straightens really, really early. That's, yeah, that's definitely me. Don't have the strength. And then again, there's no point in doing it because you're not really getting the benefits out of it. So let's far let's, better to work on the split stance. So let's say we've got a um, we've got somebody starting off on these just because I'm 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 pretty sure I'm going to be putting them in this week. Um, let's say we we're starting with the left leg. Okay, it's my weaker mm-hmm. leg. Now, what is my right leg doing? First of all, what would be my it's, my suggestion for me as a beginner to this? It's just your know, your back leg is to it's, begin with. What you want it to be is to be as close to the front leg mm-hmm. as you can have and still maintain your balance gotcha so is it slightly forward slightly behind what would be better it's behind kind of behind yeah i ideally i want it to be no more than about a foot length behind the front feet but it's to be honest that is less important than you getting your weight the back leg is less important than it being in a position whereby you can get your weight over the front foot That's yeah, of, course, of course yeah yeah so what about um where this is going to seem like a really silly question but where are we holding a dumbbell left hand right hand both hands well you can do i mean with this one both hands or if you're only holding if you're only holding one yep then you hold it in the opposite hand okay right for balance yeah makes sense yeah uh, um so it's either Opposite hand or both hands. Gotcha. I'm with you. All right. Yeah. Um, and we're going down. Are we Are we looking to go down in an RDL position, so limited by hamstrings, or are we looking to do yeah. a stiff leg 
like you know no just like you basically what we're going to do is and the setup is there then you're going to bend the knee very slightly yep. uh, so you, you've got that you know it's I think degrees wise, it doesn't really matter too much, but it, it, I always think of it as a soft, springy position. I'm actually doing it right now. I pop off my chair and I'm doing it right now. <laughs> and it's not so much that we want a soft, springy knee, it's just that if you can sort of bend your knee slightly and feel that, yeah, I'm kind of springy in this position, yes. then you've got yeah. the right degree of bend. Then what you do is you hold that. that that's not allowed to change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, then it is, a, it is a, yeah, it's a sort of a slight bend, isn't it? and then you bend at the hip keeping the chest you know in a sense you you're gonna sorry you're there then you're gonna sort of slouch slightly into it a bit like we were talking about before so exhale slow slouch down slightly and then bend at the hip yeah i can definitely load that 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 feels good in terms of balance i could definitely load that and then as you're coming back up the best thing to think of is on the way back up is actually to squash an orange under your foot mm -hmm. so imagine you're just trying to crush that orange under your the arch of your foot and then from there pull yourself back up now you don't lead in some respects you don't want to lead with your shoulders we want to actually pull with the hip i don't know if you're trying that right now but yeah yeah pull with the hip uh, I, <laughs> yeah i i am i am i I've, i can go i'm going down until i get this stretch i'm just trying to stay grounded in the middle of my foot and then as i'm pulling yeah. up it is more trying to drive my hip forward yeah yeah and then because when you drive your hip forward you can feel a stronger contraction in the hamstring than if you oh, yeah. lead just with your shoulders um there's a big there's a conceptual difference there i don't think it looks that different visually but you should be able to feel it it, it really if you're doing it properly it doesn't really look that different but right. how it feels is massively different exactly yep yep it just you know the hamstrings are like oh hello um, wasn't expecting to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, and to be as a, as a multi-joint type movement for bodybuilders who want to really hit their hamstrings a bit heavier. Um, so you're getting, in some respects here, what, what's happening is you're getting an isometric contraction at the knee mm -hmm. on the bottom part of the hamstring. And then in your proximal hamstring, that's the bit that's actually getting more of a concentric contraction as it helps extend the hip. So, the stuff around the knee, so your calf, gastroc, and the hamstring are working to hold the knee in that position. So it really is a whole, you know, posterior leg drill here. That's not. There's nothing really getting it to escape. Um, but by driving down into the ground, by you know squashing that orange there and driving the hip through, and really thinking of almost that you're. If you imagine that you're almost like a bow and arrow with your body being the string and the arrow sits in the crease of your hip, you're trying to push, you know, the, it's the, you're pushing the arrow forward as you come up. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think that, that's, that's awesome. That, that's definitely something I'm going to be putting in this week. I've been writing some notes down for that, but that feels great. It feels a lot better than trying to do it where the, the back leg is allowed to drift backwards. Now that's fine. I'm sure that's okay if you're more experienced. Um, but for me, that felt a ton better than what I did years ago when I tried to just hold on to two dumbbells and let my back foot sort of go just back because it was a balancing issue then. This, there's, no, there's no balance issue here. I'm sure you could load this up pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've worked up to... Um, I was using on a, on a trap bar, I was doing sets of eight with about 
120. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, that, I, I think that would be very valuable for me. I'm pretty sure I've got an imbalance there between my legs. Uh, and I want to start doing more sort of single leg work, probably single arm work as well. I think it's it's ultimately quite useful. You don't need much, but it, it's quite useful. Um, so if we look at, say, bench, or maybe can we can we kind of include bench and overhead pressing in this or incline pressing? Yeah. Um, so in terms of pressing, I don't think it really matters too much because it, the the general idea is the same that we want to connect, regardless of whether you're using a bar or dumbbells. We want to connect yeah. each side. Yeah. We, so we, covered, it, we covered last week um, this idea of range of motion as well. If you could kind of touch on that too. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's sort of, with, the, with barbells, it's like if you can go through, you know, chest, the barbell down to your chest and you can do it comfortably and it doesn't bother you, crack on. It really, there's no point in saying that that's not good because yeah. it, it's absolutely fine for some people and it's not so good for other people. Um, I would sooner see people kind of, you know, where they, they perhaps aren't the right shape. Just stop that little bit short. You're not going to lose anything uh, by it because if you're, you're following a more bodybuilding style routine, you're going to include plenty of other exercises that will, you know, make up for that little bit of gap that you've left at the bottom of the range but your shoulders will love you for it yes uh, and you know if we're talking about you know again this idea one of the i think the issues power lifters all often have is that they're they're spending so much time you know really arching that back in the squat whereas what they probably need to do is bring the rib cage down a bit it's the same when they're on the bench you know they're, they're trying to get a big arch but then why are they trying to do that because they want to cut down the range of movement yeah. So for all, you know, you're saying, ah, it's a partial range. Well, let's just have a look at what you look like when you've got an arch. <laughs> and uh, now tell me that it's a partial range of movement because, you know, you're lifting when you're doing your max press. And you're lifting off a partial range of movement and I'm not going to criticize you for it. It's just, it is what it is. Um, and their shoulders tend to be in a much more comfortable position. Oh yeah, of course. I suppose, I'm, I suppose the, the question I want to pose was looking at the developmental effects of people who do cut their range of motion on purpose for bodybuilding because this is something mm -hmm. I go back and i'll be honest i go back and forth on it initially i saw it and i was like that looks like shit because i've seen people in my gym do that and they they will they won't if you're looking at overhead pressing for example they won't let their elbows go past their shoulders now from what you're saying that's actually a relatively healthy position for the shoulders my concern is that they're going to get very strong very fast, but that's not going to translate into actual development because we know we can get stronger quicker in shorter range of motions. We also know that the, the, the larger range of motions tend to produce more mass, but they're harder to progress on for strength. Um, I, 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 and I've seen guys who've got shoulders like, I don't know, a tennis, little tennis ball mm -hmm. doing pressing with 45 kilo dumbbells. And I'm looking at that going, what is this? Because it's like barely... It's so elbows going barely to shoulder height and then pushing back up. I, I don't know yeah. if I see much. I don't know. Am I wrong? I don't think there's, I, personally, I don't think there's any real value there, yeah. especially since they're, um, the, the length of time that they're spending under you know, any real tension is really low. Yeah. Uh, I would sooner see people go through, especially with shoulder pressing, you know, go through as full a range of movement as you can because 
there's no re it, you don't have the same issues that you do with bench pressing because it the the problem with the bench is that the elbow goes past the the midline and that starts that can stress the the joint now some people are fine with it and some people aren't it really just depends on your makeup uh, but that's never happening with the press you know the idea that you're going to you know do something in, in a similar manner to what might happen with a bench press in an overhead press, where you really are talking out your arse because yeah. the, the elbow's never going past the midline uh, and it's more often than not probably slightly in front. The load is all on the soft tissues, all on the muscles rather than it's not going really on any ligaments. You're not really stressing the capsule overly much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've, you've really got no excuse for it. Yeah. I remember um, one of the guys that used to, an older guy that wrote for Hard Gainer years ago. He was a powerlifter. I can't remember his name, but he did a lot of um, partial range movements in in the overhead work. Okay. But I think if, if I remember rightly, whilst he did a very short range, I mean, we're really only talking like was a that was of that uh, was that the really skinny fella, Suma? Uh, no, no, he was an. He was just an. He was an older guy, really nice guy, really good articles. Um, okay, and sensible stuff. But he found that and I think the thing was that he was working, and it was a lot of. It's almost like supportive work. Yeah. Uh, but the thing was, you know, the the stress was never really coming off the delts in that yeah. position. So he was in that overhead I, position. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really support work. Um, so, you know, I can see some benefit there, but again, the time under tension was there. Yeah, right, the exactly. Was there. And it was always intense, so he's always driving up through the hands. So it, it, everything's engaged across the shoulder girdle mm -hmm. uh, because he, he, it, was, it was almost sort of, in a sense, supramaximal type weights that he was using. So he really couldn't go much more, but he was getting very, he, sort of, he was then sort of developing aspects of strength there but he was coming at much more from a, a sort of power lifting perspective so again sure. if you're yeah if you're coming at it more from a physique point of view i actually could see some benefit in that mm -hmm. over the sort of partial range kind of a uh, rapidly done you know dumbbell presses or that makes whatever. sense yeah that makes sense um yeah. what about um if we if we go to sort of like say flat pressing there seems to be a similar sort of thing here. Now, I was always under the impression, regardless of how big you are, you want to try and get a full range of motion in the chest as possible. That's generally what I prefer. Um, but again, you've got guys who are stopping when the elbow is roughly um, chest height. Now, for larger guys, this is generally not a massive problem because they tend to have bigger chests. But you've got guys who weigh 160, 70, 80 pounds who just don't really have a chest who are doing the same thing. And you're seeing the bar probably six, seven, eight inches off the chest. And again, we're lifting very heavy weights because it's, it's partial movement under the guise of hashtag shoulder health. It just seems like an excuse to lift like an idiot. I don't know. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think if you, um, are, what, there's no real reason why you can't bench press through a full range of movement, but it's not going to suit everybody. Mm -hmm. um, some people will find it just makes their shoulders sore. You know, and there's not much that you can do about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, when I, mean, I when I was powerlifting, I was a very tricep dominant bencher for that reason. Yeah. Uh, so I have no real issue if, if you're kind of almost stopping. If we're, uh, you know, elbows, uh, sorry, sort of 
humerus parallel to the ground. Mm -hmm. With most of us, that's not going to be much more than about four inches off the chest. Yeah. Uh, if you stop in that position, you know, you're, you're not really... Um, for me, that's quite, for me, that's quite a lot because I've got quite long lower uh, forearms. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a fairly big range. But it's one of those ones that, you know, so, as long as you're thinking of, you know, the, once you get down, your elbow's not really going past your shoulder line. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. the best way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, whatever that happens to be is fine. And, but with some people, you know, you can go your chest and it's no problem. And, you know, they may be, yeah, as long as you can go to the chest and it's no problem, then absolutely, you know, crack on. Uh, I think there a lot of people lose it. It's a bit like we're talking about with the lower body stuff, is they lose tension. Mm -hmm. So rather than actually, that's the other thing, you know, if we think go back to the powerlifters, they, they're not losing tension. They can't afford to, uh, you'll, you can remember, you'll, and, you know, you've benched way heavier than I ever did. Um, but you know, you're not dropping that on your chest. Yeah, yeah, true, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but from a bodybuilding perspective, if you keep that tension on there mm -hmm. and then coming back up again, again, you're kind of loading the structures that you want to do to much more effectively. But it's, you, you want to really actually squeeze, again, squeeze through the bar. Because if you actually grip the bar properly, uh, you should feel that the whole arm engages. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing, there's no slack there. It's not like, you know, you're benching and, and your biceps aren't contracting. If you grip the bar properly, then the biceps are going to contract as well, which is what we want. It's not for bicep development point of view. It's actually about force transmission um, and getting a much more, if much more effectively driving the bar away from you or controlling the bar as you lower it down. And so I'm not trying to say that, you know, benching is going to give you bigger biceps. <laughs> <laughs> it might, but uh, I'm, I'm not really thinking it will. Um, but it then, it, but what it does mean is that you're going to engage better through the chest, through the triceps. You're going to distribute the load more effectively. Um, you're going to lift better. Your form will be better, um, and you're not really going to overload any one structure. Again, it's, it comes back to this idea of distributing the load effectively. Uh, where and that's where I think you know, they lose it when they do, when you just chase poundage. That's what you lose, and that's why you get. That's into right. Yeah, it. yeah, that's right. You lose that balance, and even if poundage is your goal, you know, you're setting yourself up, you know, for a fail if you just if you're purely and, chasing poundage. And just to point out there, poundage should not be the exclusive goal for bodybuilders. It isn't. Like we realize you know, hashtag progressive overload is life, but like nobody ever said progressive overload over anything else, like over form, mm -hmm. over execution. Nobody ever said that. And that's, I think, I just want to point that out because people will be sat home going, well, you know, I do the progressive overload style, which by the way, the whole, the whole misnaming of progressive overload method is stupid as hell. I hate that because everything should be progressive overload. Uh, but I will, mm -hmm. more accurately, we'll call it a low volume, high, high intensity approach. People will be sat there with that sort of Jordan Peters, Dorian Yates style approach thinking, well, progressive overload is life. I'm like, well, no, hold on. It's not. Not even Dorian did 
with heavier and heavier weights to the exclusion of form. He was a perfectionist in terms of form. So I just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. That what Colin's talking about is like powerlifters and stuff like that. I mean, I must admit, you know, it's like, I think one of the reasons why, you know, even when I sort of did, you know, back in my 20s and probably early 30s where, you know, when I was doing squats and deadlifts and it was, ve- it was a, it was not so much Dorian Yates in terms of rep range. It was more sort of, you know, Ken Leister, Arthur Jones. Yeah, 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 those guys, yeah, yeah. high-intensity uh, training guys. But because I was, you know, basically, you know, 10, you know, 15 to 20 to 30 reps, mm-hmm. your actual load was low. Yep. You know, it's not like you were you're maxing out or anything uh, in terms of load. Um, so you, you were never really kind of being ground into a hole by the weight on the bar because there was always reps there. It was just a question of whether your mind would let you do them or not. Um, I think that's where a lot of guys make that mistake, you know, this idea that you need to be, you know, heavy, 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 heavy. Whereas, to be honest, I probably spent most of my squatting and deadlifting life lifting around about 70% thereabouts. I, ideal. I mean, if you look at Boris Shaker, that's pretty much the ideal reference, right? Yeah. And, you know, a. Very rarely would I go, would that 70% for me be um, 70% in terms of load, uh, whereby some of the workout was maybe 80, 85, or even 90%. I probably pretty much for massive chunks of time, um, you know, my actual load was probably less than 70%, you know, not a whole lot less because, because I'm only working up to 70%. I did two, three sets to warm up with just to get the movement pattern going and then basically chase the reps with uh, over the actual poundage. Um, but it, it meant that I've really got injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, really got injured there. as a result. We've all been there. Uh, and it, but funnily enough, if guys are wondering from a, a lifting perspective, I am no super power lifter but you know off that kind of training i deadlifted 260 and squatted 240. huge um, 240 so, wow good squat yeah admittedly in wraps and, and a suit but sure you know, sure uh, yeah still a big squat um and it was you know, that was pretty much the only heavy training i did was in the lead up to that mm-hmm. you know so in the eight weeks or so in the lead up to it and prior to that i'd been squatting for like 15 reps <laughs> if you if you remember i had that period after like it was like three or four years after i tore my hamstring where i started doing bodybuilding work it's full body stuff and i was doing a lot of reps mm-hmm. and i wasn't really i had pretty much given up any hope of powerlifting ever again I had, and i was just working on reps just working on execution just working on bodybuilding and I actually ended up being going back and being some of the strongest i ever had I've been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. You were, you were really shifting some, some nice numbers. But yeah. funnily enough, not at the exclusion of everything else. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting for me. I mean, that was eventually the thing that rehabbed my, my, my deadlift uh, and my squat eventually because I, I, I was just pounding so much volume and the intensity just wasn't there. I mean, the, you know, with the weight on the bar, I probably used maybe 100 kilo on the bench at a maximum when I was at my fittest and that translated to a 150 kilo bench. I think it was, if I remember, mm-hmm. I don't have access to the, um, the, the our forum at the moment. So, 
I got to got to get onto Robert about that. If, is it still up and running? Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, I need to. I've I've lost my password, so I need to get in touch with them. And re- and I will say the password's linked to my Yahoo account, which is no longer active. So <laughs> if if you do talk to him, let him know. But anyway, we'll get back on with the podcast. <laughs> but what I'll do is, I, I he is he's active in the forum again. So um, I'll I'll say to him. Perfect. Yep. I'll, uh, I did send a support message. Um, I'm not sure if he got it, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, if he can send it to my my Gmail, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, awesome. So um, if we move on to the next topic, I wanted to talk a bit about the role of the mind in pain. Now, this was something that came up years ago where you and I were on the same forum, and I think it was a Phil Blackstone, if you remember him. The uh, yeah, and he talked yeah. about. I think it was, there's a certain doctor who basically cured his back pain, and essentially it by. Sarno, I think it was. Say again. Sarno. S A R. That's it. Sarno. Doctor Sarno. That's right. You're right, Doctor Sarno. And essentially, he's been going around curing people's back pain via, I guess, would you say, hypnosis almost? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you cannot negate the the actual biomechanical nature of you know, pain. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's a lot in, in like this sort of whole physio rehab circles of the biopsychosocial. If you're not doing biopsychosocial, then you know you're 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 shite basically. <laughs> um, and you know you so to me it, it's not as simple as one or the other. You know, invariably for most people, there is a mechanical thing behind it all. The, the psychological aspect of it can come, often then comes later on because they didn't deal with it properly in the first instance. So the, it then becomes this recurring thing and it doesn't really matter where it is in the body, you can get it. Uh, if, it's, if you don't rehab something well, such that you undo any of the compensations that you develop to get around that initial injury, you set yourself up to be in this sort of recurring loop. Yeah. Uh, whereby it's just, you know, and it's you're you're not re-injuring yourself. Essentially, what's happened is you've you've recalibrated your system so that you react faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to actually injure yourself to feel the pain. You basically just need to overly, overly stress it. And that's really more what um, pain is. It's uh, an indicator that there might be something wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. The other week, I, um, I was making uh, a chili. <laughs> I was slicing some stuff up. My wife phoned. I decided I would answer the phone, cradling the phone in uh, the crook of my ear and elbow and shoulder, continued slicing, stopped looking, and literally almost chopped the top of my thumb off. Oh, God. Right. Now, now the pain that I felt there was not, it was, you know, there was no, it wasn't just a warning sign. It was like, you know, shit's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I sliced into the nail and, you oh, know, it was bleeding profusely. So, you know, but at the same time, uh, if you think about, so somebody, uh, it's, it's cup final day and a, somebody, you know, somebody gets, has a bad tackle. It's maybe halfway through the first half. They get up, they carry on, and then you don't see them in the second half. And it's like because they, they're playing an incredibly important game. So the brain pretty much goes, 
that's not that serious. They've got more important stuff going on here. I've got a, I mean, a cup final that I need to win. Mm-hmm. But then they go and sit down at half time. You basically get a chance to reassess the situation at that point. And the brain goes, actually, you know what? <laughs> Shit's gone wrong, buddy. <laughs> You're not going back out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, how come I was running around for 20 minutes? And, uh, but now it feels like my leg's about to fall off. Yeah. And then like, somebody assesses you in the treatment room and it's like, ah, you know what, your leg is about to fall off. How did you manage to run around for that the rest of that half? Mm-hmm. Um, that is kind of, so it's, it's there to allow you to get out of dangerous situations, I suppose is the best way of putting it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And we don't really have those in much in our lives anymore. So. And, and I suppose the argument could be said that if you if this becomes crom- becomes chronic, your body is almost thinking it's always in a dangerous situation. Is yeah, that right? that's is exactly that right? what happens. Yeah. It's it's kind of you you really, if we think of it, it's, it's that class, the way it's often described in rehab is that you know you've got a uh, a sort of security light in, in your back garden mm-hmm. and somehow or other it's been the sensitivity has been turned right up so now it goes off when a cat goes across your back garden as opposed yes. to it should only really be triggered by a person sized you know thing and um, that's really what's happening so every time you sort of move you're, you're reacting in a way that it it's just as though you've actually hurt yourself versus what has happened is you've just done something that you're not really used to anymore. I mean, one of the, my clients who is now, uh, I, I work with her much more on performance stuff, but she came in about 18 months ago. Um, now, she'd had a back problem for about 10 years. Mm. Fallen off a horse, broke her spine. Um, right, wow. So, I mean, that's healed. You know, it's not like it hasn't, but the problem is, is that so not that well, the bones will heal. Everything else is still working. She's not really got any other damage. She, did, or she didn't have any other damage other than the, the broken bones. There was nothing, you know, there was no nerve damage or anything like that. Okay. Because it never really got rehab properly, because the movement patterns were never really restored, hmm. she ends up in a situation whereby simply bending over can be painful because she's yep. lost that ability to do it. I mean... She said in the uh, review that she gave for me that she, you know, there was times where her husband was putting her socks on for her. Oh, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she was in that much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, here's the crazy thing. She'd be in that much pain one day and then the next day, she'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and that is really just how that sensitivity thing has just gone crazy. It's, it's like, Whoa, what's going on here? So... Pretty much what I spent time on with her was just recalibrating that system. And a lot of it was actually to do with breathing work. Okay. And how important actually restoring, you know, good breathing is in, in resetting your system. Because it, if we think of the, the nervous system as a sympathetic and parasympathetic yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of sides where you're, you've got your rest and digest, your fight and flight. Um, so we want it to just be in balance. You don't want it to be one side more than the other. Uh, but when you're in pain a lot, you know, you become a bit more sympathetic dominant. And the breathing really helps bring it back to the center again, yeah. uh, which is really what you're looking for uh, and restore that function. I mean, simple one I get people to do is just sit down, get comfy, get slouched, that other 
you know, bad thing that you're not supposed to do. Uh, here's, the, here's the funny thing. Everybody I see with back pain can't slouch. Yeah. I'll, leave, I'll pause, pause for effect on that one. Yeah, everybody <laughs> with back pain cannot slouch. Uh, we can come back to that because it's actually an interesting one with regards to the stuff we were talking about earlier as well. But so I get them to sit in that really kind of sort of slumped position in the chair, everything nice and relaxed, and then close their mouth, put their tongue into the roof of their mouth, and breathe gently in and out through their nose. Gradually slow that down, and then once they get handle on it, we do six breaths that are six count in, six count out. And it's an amazing kind of reset. I mean, interestingly, from another lady, <laughs> another broken back. Uh, she got knocked off her bike, this one. Oh, wow. uh, two, two spinal fractures. Um, and got her there, got her to sit down, went through a whole lot of stuff, started doing the breathing, she just started bawling her eyes out. Uh, it really does help you settle down and kind of just get everything kind of speaking to one another again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the mind is massively important um, in terms of what you perceive as pain um, and a, you know how it what you'll react to um, all that kind of stuff it, it, it's much more it's, it's every bit as important as the physical side and then if you're in a more chronic situation where you've had a long-standing issue, um, a bit like your hamstring in some ways, you know, a lot of the issues that you would then develop aren't you re-injuring your hamstring. It's just your hamstring freaking out because you've basically put more load through it than it can, than it's happy with. It's not that it's got torn again, but it bloody feels like it has. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, is kind of where it, it comes in and you know, learning that learning not to overreact to these things i know myself i i remember one time I'd, I i'm really, I'm really bad for that yeah i'm really bad for that i, I tend to freak out <laughs> i sort of i had a cold one time just started getting a cold and then i got a pain in my neck a pain in my upper back a pain in my sort of sacral area um and I was quite glad that uh, you know I do what I do, because I was able. To, otherwise, I'd be oh no, what have I done to myself? Yeah. Um, but it was like oh, actually, you know what? Um, I've got a cold. I've essentially I've got a systemic inflammation at the moment as a result of the cold, and I'll probably be fine in a couple of days. Funnily enough, I got the following morning. It really had been one of these sort of twenty-four, forty-eight hour kind of things. Yeah. Yep. And um, the pains were gone, <laughs> uh, you know, and I didn't, but it was purely related to the whole system kind of being in the, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then it kind of disappeared, uh, which is me sort of overreacting to areas that, I mean, the upper back one was actually more of a rib problem. I popped a rib when I was playing rugby mid twenties and I never ever felt it in the front where it happened. I always felt the pain um in my back. Mm. Uh, where the, that at the rib joint there. Um but that's where I, I felt it. Um and 
so that that's kind of sort of that side of things. Yeah, I suppose um, with with we've talked quite a lot about the role of the mind in pain. I think we've hopefully impressed upon the audience that there's quite a big amount of after effect with that. And when you're seemingly okay, it, it's it, it you can get these things. So what what can we do to, I guess, help us be? Is it just a case of being aware of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be mindful of it. Um, recognize that if it's something that occurs repeatedly, that the chances are, you know, you, you know, I'd almost say 99 times out of 100 is you're not re-injuring yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, you are, um, you're really just triggering something that uh, has been a problem in the past rather than it, you know, a whole new, you know, torn hamstring or whatever it might be. Um, it's very rarely that that would be the case. I suppose um, we, we can we could say this is after a, a proper rehab period. So, you know, this is not an excuse for all you meatheads to go back in the gym after you've torn your pecker uh, bench pressing. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and it, it's one of those ones that I would actually say anybody who has got a recurring pain, be it a recurring shoulder pain, knee pain, back pain, doesn't really matter what it is, go and see somebody and get checked out because it's you're only getting it on a regular basis because you haven't dealt with it properly in the first place. Yeah. Um, and it's really just about, you know, properly going through a rehab uh, process to bring you through that so that you essentially press that reset button and that's what it's about. And it will allow you to train much more effectively afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so if we move on to the, the final sort of section on this, um, so I've kept you for quite a while now, but uh, let's move on to the All final right. bit. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about business now about four years ago, I think it was, um, you sort of discussed with me some of the things that you've been doing to increase your um, social media presence, to improve your website, mm-hmm. improve your service in general. And I kind of wanted to quiz you a little bit about what you've done, but also your plans for the business moving forward. Because if I will link Colin's website um, on this podcast, I didn't do it last time, but Colin's got a fantastic website, great service. All looks, it, it all it's all very logical in terms of how it's structured. Now I really I really like navigating around it. Uh, you know, so yeah, if you could talk a bit about that, that'd be great. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've done in the last. In over that time scale, it has been over the last year, 18 months. Okay. And I think it's something that um, anybody who works for themselves, they don't really care what business that you're in. Learn to write. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, I read so, it doesn't matter whether it's fitness, whether it's in the rehab sort of sector, so many stuff that, you know, the only reason I might subscribe to them is to sort of see what they're talking about, but they're reading the emails is painful. <laughs> I know what you, you mean. The, the, the sort of the, the emails, not spam emails, but the group emails people send out, yeah. They're just, you know, it's like, you know, if you really want to um, engage your audience, you need to learn to write better. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I am not. I am not the poet laureate, uh, <laughs> but by the same token, it was like you know I did. I've done about three courses over the last year or so, um, and one of the first ones I did was a com- uh, one called Copy Hour, 
Okay. Uh, and that just changed how, how I wrote, uh, just exposing myself to lots of really good copywriting. Um, and to a point where I went to see the uh, Aretha Franklin um, Amazing Grace film last year, which was basically a recording of the concert that she did. And I came out and I essentially wrote an email to my friend in my head. Uh, and then the following morning, um, basically just wrote it to him, which was something I would never have done in the past. Now, we, bear in mind, this is my best friend. We've been friends for 30 years, slightly more. Uh, but he's got a, an English degree. He's a songwriter, uh, etc. So, but I wrote this email after that, and um, I would have been scared to have written it previously in, in some respects because I just wasn't confident in writing anything. Uh, and it was just a review of of the film, and not even the film, but just pretty much the last ten minutes. Yep. Uh, and then I've done one or two others after that, but it, it's probably the biggest skill that anybody who works on themselves can, can learn, just learning how to write good emails. And it's about telling stories. You know, I, um, the stuff I send out to my clients is, is about, um, I tell stories about my wee boy huh. uh, yep. and the, the stuff that he has done. But it, it, you become, you learn then to how to relate that story into the message that you actually want to give at the end of the, whereby you're then relating it to um, the importance of, funnily enough, I'm right, I was writing one just before we came on where he, <laughs> Lindsay sent me a, a video of him the other day walking across his Lego. And so his Lego is all scarred in this bag <laughs> and it's down on the floor and he's walking across the Lego. And she posted it up on Facebook to sort of friends and family and said, you know, he's obviously wanting to be a firewalker. And this is from starting off. And so I've basically, I'm going to turn that into something about graded exposure, hmm. progressive loading, what have you. He's starting off walking across Lego. He's going to progress to walking across, you know, hot coals. <laughs> he, he's learning how to do things like that. Now, I never would have thought I could have done it before, but now it actually is really, really easy. It, it, is, it is hilarious that you say that because I, I, the amount of times I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'm reading somebody's story and it's a good story. It's good, it's good writing. There's a couple of guys that I follow who I want to get on a podcast actually, but I just think to myself, wow, I, I had a similar thought, but I didn't really expand on it. But what he's done so well, far better than what I did is actually he took that thought and expanded on it. And he wrote an entire story slash post about it. And um, it's, it's some of these passing thoughts which mm -hmm. almost sort of that you can let them get away from you, but they're actually, they make for good discussions. I mean, like uh, I was, um, one of the other things I was doing earlier on, uh, is I'm, I've got a, a running program that I'm putting together, uh, which, you know, we can sort of talk about in terms of where, where that would be going. But here you go. It was just like, it came from funnily enough chatting with Yusuf the other yep. day. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, somebody he'd been speaking to said, you know, it looks like there's been an apocalypse and there's only runners that have survived. <laughs> uh, so here we go. Here's like, just basically, it's going to be a, a Facebook advert. Mm. It's 28 days later and the only people that have survived are runners. <laughs> Boy, do you get to be able to run. Stop running and zombies will get you. That's great. At least, that, at least that's what it looks like when you go out just now. The problem yeah, yeah. is, follow a standards beginner's plan, 
you won't be running for long. And then I'm th- I developed the couch to 5K and beyond based on years of experience with both beginners and experienced runners, working with hundreds of runners who see all the mistakes. And this plan is avoiding all those mistakes and the zombies. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that learning how to, to write. Now, I'm not going to be wrong. I'm not saying I'm a great writer, but I would never have written that a year ago or 18 yeah. months ago yeah but it's it's interesting content with a with a bit of a humor angle but it's informative at the same time yeah mm-hmm. and that's what you it's, it's stop being so fucking technical yeah <laughs> yeah people are not interested no you know yeah. in reading that an overly technical don't get me wrong some people are you are i am depending on the subject we'll, we'll be quite happy to read that I know, I know what you're saying because there's there's only so much you can actually give out anyway in an Instagram post, and then it ends up being a massive wall of text, and nobody's going to read that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So it's really you kind of want to have some sort of amusing little thing in there, and even in an email where you've got maybe 500 words, yep. you still not got you. You cannot get to you cannot bore people. If you if you bore them, <laughs> they're not going to open your emails. Yep. If you bore them in your Instagram post, they're not going to look at them. That's right. It doesn't really matter what it is. You, you, you can't be boring. One of the people I would suggest everybody has a look at is Ian Stanley. Uh, he's a funny guy. <laughs> it's not everybody's cup of tea, but he, you know, he's probably one of the best email copywriters out there. Uh, I'll send you a link to the email copywriting course that he has. Okay. Uh, if you've got like business guys and that out there who might be interested in in actually developing that because that's one that run you can just get onto copy hour and one or two others only run you know two three times a year but that one is one you can just purchase i'll send you a link for it it's an interesting angle isn't it i've never really considered that i mean people talk about how to get more content for you know social media where to get ideas but no one really discusses how to present it that's, that's in this sense yeah, I, anyway. mean, I mean one of the ones he talks about is yeah, another one uh, is the idea of the eighty twenty principle. Oh, yes, right. I know. I know you're familiar with it. Many people are familiar with it now. But obviously, that idea of eighty percent of your success comes from twenty percent of your efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yeah, so that's it. Uh, there's so many ways that you can turn that into interesting, um, interesting chat. Uh, and just sort of making it funny and you know just sort of relating it i mean i've even talked about how you know used golf and it doesn't matter what it is you're talking about you can use golf as the thing it doesn't matter whether you're interested in golf or not it's the simple fact that tiger woods they say or any famous golfer but tiger woods is probably one of the best ones to use he's an amazing golfer he can drive the ball 100 miles but he spends 80 percent of his time practicing his short game <laughs> all good golfers do because that's where you spend most of your time on the golf course mm. then you bring that into as a bodybuilder you should be doing and you can kind of turn that into um you know different variations of that um but the other thing is just simply um you know uh, what, what have you been doing? Um, another one I did the other day. Hopefully, this is what you were actually looking for. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very interesting. Uh, 
was I talked about the film we'd watched on Saturday night. Uh, and this is how, how you get it. You just, what, what have you been doing? We watched The Untouchables on Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> so fun, so much fun. Um, but then I talk about the scene where uh, Sean Connery's talking to um, Kevin Costner and it's like, you want to get Capone? I'm, I'm reading the email here. That's how I can remember it. You want to get Capone? I'll tell you what you have to do. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. Hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. <laughs> That's the Chicago way. Yeah. And then I then talk about you know it a little bit and then some other bits and pieces about how it's influenced by um Battleship Potemkin, uh, how one of the scenes, you know, this the scene with the pram at the end is anyway, and then it slows down and I say it's pure Sam Peck and pass, slow motion, you know, just I then talk about how I've my influences, uh, and I'm saying like my biggest influence has been my mentor, Dave O'Sullivan. I talk about who Dave is. So, uh, and the fact that he's worked with any number of you know professional athletes, he currently does work with the England rugby team. Okay. I then come back to what we've just been talking about, the need to extend the hip before you extend the knee, and how that plays a role in Achilles pain, iliotibial band problems, knee pains, hip pain, da, 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 da. and then I say, you know, finish it off, and I say, and that is the performance, that is the PST way, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> as opposed to the Chicago way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to be honest, that, that has just been a question of writing, 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 writing. The thing with sort of some of the other things I think we talked about in the past in terms of sort of Facebook advertising stuff, that's about more about knowing who you want to talk to um, and spending time in Facebook groups is probably the easiest way of finding out what these people's um, concerns are because sometimes they're not what you think they are, even if you're involved with it. Uh, and that makes it easier to write for them because you know it's not too difficult to get sort of decent facebook stuff going um if you're doing it in the advertising sort of sense yeah it's really hard to do anything on facebook on your page nowadays because they want you to pay for it so i would suggest that if you're using facebook you do it in a very targeted way and you pay for it mm. and you kind of you only end up, you basically link your Instagram page to your Facebook page. So you do all your stuff on Instagram and that's where you're looking to get your reach because it's, it's still easier to get organic reach on Instagram over um, Facebook. If you put good quality stuff out on Instagram, people will start following you. It's much, much harder on um, Facebook, I think. Yeah, I think so. That's been my experience, certainly. Yeah. I think Facebook just in, inherently just seems to be more for social stuff and with a little bit of business yeah. tagged on the side. Perhaps just my, mm -hmm. that's just my experience. Instagram seems to be a lot more related to specific. It's, a, it's much more using hashtags to find specific people and specific interests. Yeah. It's not something I've really looked at until very recently. I've sort of dabbled with it and come away from it and gone back in and come away from it and then now I'm kind of going, right, okay, that's, that's the way to do it. I'm going to do little bits and pieces on Facebook where I'm 
where that, that running course, that, that's going to be a Facebook advert. Mm-hmm. But I, I know kind of who I'm talking to and I know what to put in it. But in terms of my overall content, it's, it's much more about sort of trying to put decent, you know, quality um, bits and pieces on Instagram that people will find interesting and, you know, sort of follow you from that respect. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's definitely much more, you're probably going to have a lot more success keeping them short, snappy, funny, amusing, or just slightly informative. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely seems to be the way of it. It's just... Because the, the, longer me- the longer messages are quite nice to link back onto your website, in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could, you can just sort of highlight that, you know, you've got stuff on your, on your, on your website, as you say. And exactly, yeah. yeah. Then, um, and even, you know, putting longer stuff on your Facebook page, maybe putting a longer post on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it, it just, or, or then, you know, or having the, 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 the old link in bio type thing, if you're wanting people to read something a bit more and just say in the post, you know, the links in the bio, keep it up there for, um, you know, a, a few days. Uh, one that I'd seen recently was, and this is probably more for people who are following you, I think. I'm, I'm not pretending to be any kind of expert here. This was just something I read and thought, oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Was, was how um, your stories, let's say I'm such a newbie at um, Instagram, but the stories, because you, you've got people's attention for a bit longer there, you can put That's in right, yeah. more information. If they've clicked on it and they're prepared to sit and watch it and pause it and all the rest of it, you can put more information in there. But keeping the the actual Instagram posts themselves kind of probably a bit shorter and a bit more eye-catching. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what it is you're doing as well, of course, um, and who you're targeting. I mean, some guys I know almost don't need to because they're so well-known now that they, they can <laughs> yeah, true. go into sort of longer ones. Uh, but at the same time, you still see them doing sort of shorter, snappier bits and pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it, it perhaps responds slightly better to the certain audiences as well. I mean, if you look at a guy like mm-hmm. Shelby Staines, for example, he's quite an old, older coach. Um, and a lot of his client base, they like his more informative and in-depth posts. Um, to a certain extent, it's kind of the same for me as well. Like a lot of my, me compared to some other online coaches who are around the area where I live, uh, more local ones, there's I think my audience appreciate the, the slightly, slightly longer content, but again, what you're saying is true. You've got to keep it appropriate for, for, the, for the modality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's all just about kind of, sort of holding people's attention. And it might be that you know, as long as you're holding it for long enough uh, to grab their attention, um, and then you know, some days they'll, they'll read it and some days they won't. So you can still put longer posts and yeah. uh, uh, but as long as there's enough in there that they're getting takeaways on a regular basis they, they will follow you it's it really doesn't matter the platform at that point in time i agree um, yeah definitely and and the other thing is probably honestly be yourself um, yeah that's a big don't, one don't try and be you know a somebody else i mean i i swear in my emails 
<laughs> because I will swear in person. Uh, it's like even with my being on best behavior, I'll, I will end up swearing. <laughs> so yep. so I, I do put it into the emails. Um, but not, I don't get me wrong, it's, like, it's not like I put it in there a lot. But there's no point in pretending that it doesn't exist when occasionally I'll let it slip out. When I'm it, it's quite funny, actually. I, I did a post uh, a few months ago where it was quite strong. It was either a post or a podcast, I remember. It was quite strong. And I remember asking one of my friends afterwards, I was like, was that a little bit too much, maybe? You know? <laughs> and he said, well, well, no, because that's why we follow you. We know that's what you're like. Like, we... That's, yeah. we, we like that. That's and I, it's, it's what it's saying is just, like I said, be yourself because the audience you've got it responds to you as a person, and, and that's who they'll always respond to you. So there's no point hiding it away. You may as well. Just, I mean, one of the ones, uh, one of that email that I wrote, and the lady became a client hmm. just after that. She'd read it and then she replied to that one. <laughs> she liked uh, it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, you know, she said, "You know, I really enjoy." You know, basically, it was a, an, an email along the same lines of what we're saying. I always start off with that little story that then leads into something else. And this one was, it's you know, we'd been watching a Billy Connolly sort of documentary, and he's he's talking about you know, back in the day when he lived in Glasgow, and he still you know, obviously visits, doesn't live there, hasn't lived there for a long time. Which is an expression that he'd heard there and he'd never really heard it anywhere else. And it was Jesus suffering fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and it basically was just it only it was something that was only ever used when something really bad had happened. And, <laughs> okay. it, you know, it just, uh, and he says, Yeah, just Jesus suffering fuck. <laughs> and then I relate that one and I said, basically, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it like it's like back pain. You know, you get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get up and, Bam! It hits you, and then I just go, you just like, Jesus, suffer. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this lady, I mean, she's like 63, I think she was. Yeah, so but she, she liked it though. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, she basically replied, she says, you know, I do find your emails really amusing. And then she puts in brackets, and this is from a former BBC comedy writer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, brilliant. So I, I must admit, I ran around the room with my hands in the air. Yeah, that's a big score, right? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> great I don't care whether she became a client or not after yeah. that. It was just like, she liked my email. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but she was absolutely lovely. Absolute joy to work with. Uh, and, you know, kind of, in some respects, not my ideal client, uh, who will be much more... Um, athletic in nature and what have you but at the same time she she was an ideal client she was just a joy to work with and to be honest that's all i'm ever looking for is somebody that i can work with and you you be able to see yourself it's it's about in some ways can i have the crack with you when you're in because if you can't (laughs) then it's gonna be grim (laughs) yeah 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 totally And you know you could definitely have the crack with her. It was uh, it was good, um, and I keep in touch with her still. You know, it's uh, you know it's that kind of relationship that you I want to build with people. You know, I'm going to be working with them for a while, so I want yeah. to build up a nice rapport that means that you can sort of pop them an email every now and again and just ask how they're getting on, and they're not being any kind of you're not asking them how they're getting on because you want them to come back in. It's you're just yeah. genuinely saying you know what's going on i think that's the sign of a really good coach though i think you know you've got you, uh, with most of my clients they, they end up becoming friends and i i like that because you know they it's it, it, it just points to security and it points to them trusting you and i think that's very valuable 
yeah yeah totally is i mean that's really what you should be looking for is to, you know how, how can i help you in such a way that you know we positively impact on your life yes. in a way beyond what you initially came in for absolutely yeah definitely uh, you know so that we you know and if we do that then you know i i have done really what i aim to do uh, because i've restored confidence i have done so many other things beyond yeah and i find and i find that's the best way to retain people as well um i mean i've right from the start my my plan was always with my clients to give them as much as i can up front um you know as much information as much security which information leads to security and them feeling comfortable with me like i'm quite happy to lay it out like this is our plan for the year um and maybe that's initially i thought perhaps that's not the best business tactic but you know what that's 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 worked really well for me like i've very rarely lost clients from that perspective you know whereas the common thinking might be well let's keep them stringing along for more but yeah, as yeah, much as possible i've wanted to just tell them every step of the way this is the plan i've got for you now the plan i've got you know later in the year this is how we're going to do things uh, even sometimes training blocks i'll lay them out for if it's appropriate i'll lay them out for um like four weeks at a time um mm -hmm. with with a view to change week by week of course but you know the rough plan i'll lay out you know and they're, they're ultimately people are happy with that it's a bit like um the guy that wrote the sopranos mm. his name escapes me for the minute um but that's pretty much what he did. Uh, um, he, uh, in the first, um, uh, yeah, David basically the first series, he he put all David Chase. His name was um, David Chase. Yeah, he, yeah, he basically for shit. You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance again. <laughs> so apparently in that first sort of 10 episodes, yeah. every good idea he had was put into it. <laughs> and, you know, the rest is history. He, he got, what, six series out of it. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it set the bar for everything that was to come after it. Absolute classic, uh, yeah. It is, you know, basically, without The Sopranos, you don't have The Wire. You don't yeah. have Breaking Bad. You, yes, don't have, yeah. you don't have any of these programs. Yeah. They, they say this is what you can do with TV, mm. and to me, to me, that's kind of what you're doing is, is, is the same. This is what we can do mm. over the next year. Um, right. If, if I, I'm, this is what I want to do with you. This is what I, I what I see for you. Um, you're kind of showing that you're all you're investing in the person, uh, and you're not. You know, it's like okay, if you go away and do something else or something else, that's fine. I don't care. I've I've told you what I think are the best things for you to do. You are going to do that with somebody else? Fine. That's, yeah. that's entirely up to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't think it should be. And the, you know, I, I think we should always just sort of share the the stuff and not worry about what comes back in a sense. Because yeah, it always that's, comes back. that's the thing. That's the thing. I think the, the first priority has got to be the coaching. It's not going to be that it's not and because people as much as you might as much as you might try and sort of hide your true intentions like if your intentions are the money 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 then it's going to it's going to come through yeah if your intentions are what they should be which is helping your client that will shine through no matter what and hopefully people see that and i'm sure they do for the most part i know my clients do and they know that i you know care about them genuinely and I, you know it's it, that's that's very powerful i think yeah yeah i mean it's 
if you're just a money-grabbing bastard, you'll be seen as a money-grabbing bastard. Yeah, they don't tend to do very well. I remember there was one guy, uh, just to finish on this, there was one guy uh, who I knew from old Sugden Barbell Forums, and um, he was he spent a lot of money getting his online coaching business up a few years ago, just lots of advertising. He had like thousands of followers, even though there was no zero retention, so he kind of bought all those followers, and he was releasing all these programs and doing, doing all this stuff. I remember I actually coached him for a brief period of time, and essentially, he just stole all my shit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then just next thing I knew, it was like new high volume program routine, buying four or 50 books a pop. And I was like, you son of a bitch. But uh, I mean, it happens all the time. But, but in any case, he, he, he uh, didn't really last very long. Uh, I just don't think, I think that his, his whole persona must have just was, was so see-through that people just mm-hmm. didn't stay with him for very long. And he kind of hung up his boots. So I wonder, you know, how much he actually made from all that because he spent a ton on advertising for very little return by the looks of it. Yeah. He just didn't have any of his own ideas, didn't really care about it. And the thing is, it's like you could take, um, you could take your program and then basically develop it into his own program. And in a lot of respects, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not like, it's taking something basically and using it as a framework to to develop your own thing on and then what you'll then do in the first instance it'll probably look quite like what you did yes but it won't take many iterations after that before it becomes very much your own yeah and i don't mind people doing that yeah that's how we all do it really yeah exactly i mean i've had i've had ex-clients take my stuff and you know use it to good effect and actually make it their own and i'm quite happy for them to do that as far because i do end up coaching a lot of pts um, because they like my more detailed orientated approach towards things. So it kind of gives them an understanding of what they might want to do. So I, I end up coaching quite a lot of PTs and, I, and I'm perfectly happy with that. And I, I encourage them to do that. And if I've even helped out people doing that, you know, just to say, Hey, well, let's try this. Maybe, maybe this will suit your personality more, you know, that stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Right. Colin, I think we'll, we'll call it there. We've kept a few long oh. enough and I'm starving. So, <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for coming on again. You're welcome, buddy. And uh, next time we will have a chat without the, uh, the the record on. We'll just have a casual catch up. Yeah, let's do that more yeah, often. Cool. That would be brilliant. Yeah, let's do that more often. Yeah, catch you later, mate. All right, mate. Thanks, you.